Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. So, all I'd say, welcome guys. Um, I am going to be your host this evening, talking on our Evolution Exchange Tech Podcast. Um, I'd love to welcome Per Heldon, um, Carmela Cortez, and Chetna Samat to discuss how to build a product that will have a long life. Now, um, before we run around the table, um, is it, how is everyone feeling today? <laughs> uh, that's what I like to hear, like to hear. So, first of all, let's sort of kick off with some introductions. Um, per, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Nice to be here. And uh, my name is Per Hiden. I've been heading up digital uh, product teams for the last 15 years. Uh, anything from startup to larger companies on both B2B and B2C side. I actually started my product journey at PriceRunner, uh, where I recruited the first uh, product team. And after that, been working with Biznode and Eero uh, and game develop in the iGaming sector. And uh, lastly, in the health tech industry uh, with the doctor.se. So my skill set is, is primarily in the digital product management. Okay, amazing, amazing. And the next person, I'll go with Chetna. All right. Um, hi, everybody who's listening. My name is Chetna, and uh, I have been living and working in Scandinavia for the last um, since the last one year. And before that, I have been working with uh, US-based companies and India-based companies. Um, I've been fortunate to, just like you, maybe, Pair, uh, I work for very small startups like double-digit headcount startups as well as big MNC companies and also consumer products like e-commerce and online accounting as well as enterprise products like digital marketing products and um, right now in uh, developer persona-facing products. I love Scandinavia. I love the outdoorsy attitude and the... Um, and the robust nature of the people and the simplistic yet very thoughtful designs and products. Uh, happy to participate. Okay, amazing, amazing. And last but not least, Carmela. Yeah, hi everyone. So uh, happy to be here as well. So um, I, I've been in uh, Sweden for about uh, five years now. I've been working as a product uh, manager for the past um, 11 years. Started the career there in, in Singapore, similar to Chetna and Pear, also with varying um, companies from a startups to now a uh, multinational um, multinational and global companies like um, Electrolux. So currently I'm a uh, digital product um, manager in, um, in Electrolux that is mostly um, get, mostly heading up the the digital experience for the well-being product so making homes more clean and and healthier so like air purifiers and acs so we i lead the product uh management of that on the software side yeah so very excited this is my first podcast so might be a bit nervous <laughs> There's nothing to be nervous about nothing to be nervous, nervous about so the reason why I connected all three beautiful people together is to talk about how to build a product with a long life. Now, I came to each of you and asked you this question, and you came to me with all the questions that we are going to discuss. So let's sort of kick it off. I know, Pear, you came to me with a fantastic question um, of how, to build, how do product managers keep updated, um, changing customer demands, user changes, or perceived product value. Now, 
can you just sort of explain that a bit more for me, please? Yeah, absolutely. I see that as uh, almost another way of uh, pronouncing a long life product in that sense. Uh, of course, going back to that, uh, if products should have a long life or not. Yeah, uh, we have something called the product life cycle. Uh, and, and in terms of looking at the company strategy and product strategy, maybe that's not always the case. But I presume and in, in this forum and today, we presume that we will really have would like to have a long life successful product. And my experience in the, in the digital product environment that uh, the only constant is, is change. So as a product manager, we need to focus uh, that we solve the right problems and that the main benefits of the products uh, is evolving together with the, with the customer needs. Uh, so it would be interesting to uh, get your, your, both of your uh, others input in, into this area. How do you feel and, and uh, uh, what, how do you actually work with it within your teams? to be up to speed, up to the market. How do you decide if you this product doesn't really fall, uh, we should shut it down or we need to pivot it in, in some ways to actually extend its life or, or be even more prosperous? Mm -hmm. um, I can jump in. So um, I think there's no shortcut here. <laughs> so it is it is the core bread and butter of a product manager to, to think about these questions day in and day out. And uh, when I say not no shortcut, I really mean it because what you have to have is a constant uh, and and a broad connect with users and your customers. You also need to look at macro trends. You need to have a pulse of the data about usage trends uh, and keep an eye on the competition as well. Uh, I, I also believe that the concept of user empathy goes a long way here. Uh, not only do you have to understand the user problem that you are solving, you also need to know your users and their lives in a more uh, practical sense. For example, uh, if you're building a product for an entrepreneur, uh, that person surely doesn't have time to go through a lot of screens and clicks and, and, and uh, participate in long workflows. Uh, same goes for moms. Uh, they don't have time. And that empathy goes a long way to decide um, what kind of problem solutions will this person or, or will this persona, so to speak, will stick with. And where are they going off to? Uh, maybe entrepreneurs are getting uh, more and more tech savvy, or maybe they are getting uh, they are getting increasingly impatient and want the answers fast. So, so yeah, that's that's my point of view on this. Yeah, completely agree. So, like for me, when you when the question was like, yeah, about the changing needs of the user, so I see it more like uh, you also mentioned it. It's about really the evolving needs of the of the of the users, right? So, and I'll give an example, I guess, on on my on my current product that I'm I'm working on. So, um, for the past two years, so yeah, we developed an app for the for the air uh, purifier um, users, and then what we see how they evolved is their, their need evolving is like you know at the beginning it's a lot about the foundational UX, so basically the addressing the basic needs that they that they uh, actually that this particular product needs to to address but then now as we evolve and like after a few more year few years user insights our our interviews with them also the local um local business area providing us input we see that they are now evolving the need from just basics to even more so they now want more we've nailed 
somehow the basics already, but now they evolved to something else that they change that they now want something more than um, just this basic remote um, controlling, right? So this is how we see that uh, the at least our users evolving in terms of their um, changes. And then at the same time, where did these needs come from? So either like from competitors, like what Chetnam mentions, right? Like they, they have a friend that also have a, a, an air purifier and they see this from their from from their from their friends experience and that's how all some of this um, needs uh, I guess also come from and there's this one model I'm not sure if you guys are familiar the Kano uh, model mm -hmm. so I really like this um, this model it's like a, it's it, it's usually used for like prioritization based on the degree of um, satisfaction of your of your customers but it's also a way to also kind of somehow audit the the features that you have on your on your product so like there's three basic uh, there's there's three levels there Right, so one is about the basics. So, like I mentioned, all those foundational. That if you do not, if do not, that if you do not um, spend more time of this, their satisfaction to your product will go down. Then you have what you call the performance features, wherein like if you keep on like um, investing effort on this, then their level of satisfaction um, goes up. And then you have those delighters or what they call the ex uh, excitement ones, wherein you do not, they do not really expect it. But then, um, but then when you invest on it, it will really give you a very high level of satisfaction of your of your users. So I think like being able to know all this uh, when you you try to look into your product and be able to segment your your I guess your experience into these three different um, categories, you'll know where to invest in order to increase your the loyalty of your user and be able to address their their needs, right? So of course the basics you always have to do, you have to to um, to invest also more in perform because that's the level of the size. The, the more satisfied they are, the longer they will stay in your product and then introduce these delighters, right? Because these are also very good opportunities for, for you as, a, as a, a product manager to expand your scope of your knowledge of what your product is and then evolve from there. And then from there, um, really, that I guess, like for me, like when we when you try to launch a product, you try to, to make sure that you have your basic, your performance and delighters. What are your thoughts on their responses, Pat? Yeah, good and uh, insightful. Uh, so I can tell your your uh, experience and have been thinking about this area. But, uh, yeah, you knew you knew to juggle in the the business schedule as a, as a product manager in in everything relating going into the so the backlog and everything around it. So how to prioritize among all of these needs? What's the trigger points that you actually get that hey, where are sort of falling off the the the, the guidelines here and the, the product is slow because probably it won't just uh, uh, the benefits of product won't go from one day to the next. It will be a slightly decrease of it. And uh, mm -hmm. so stay on top of this in some way and then get some triggers on uh, what action should you take uh, in terms of your, your continuously maintenance, uh, smaller improvements uh, or, or bigger changes into it. Yeah, I completely agree. And also, it's like also really understanding that underlying need, right? Like, so if it's like, um, you know, not all needs you really you immediately put on the on the roadmap, right? So it's really like really understanding what will make sense. And also at that point of your product, like on the on, on the state of your product as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there are always some tough questions as to should we continue the product line or not? I mean, per you, you hinted at it in the beginning itself, but sometimes the product runs its course because um, because of either 
technical limitations or the problems have evolved into something else. Uh, and then organizationally having the alignment to make some hard decisions as well. Yeah, and depending on the, uh, where in the, in the cycle is your product. I mean, uh, could it be in the explore phase or actually the expand phase or, or it's in the extract phase, depending on your sort of product life cycle. Right. How do you work with it? Uh, where's the possibility? And of course, I mean, the prerequisite for, for actually having this uh, is, of course, to, uh, that you have the, the sort of platform and the flexibility in the, in the, in the system and the technical solutions uh, behind it to be able to do uh, quick changes or, or uh, flexible changes. Yeah, for example, uh, I think that in the domain of remote working, the products are just taking off. Uh, mm. We can see so many changes in, in Zoom, and, and I think they have done a good job of keeping up with, with things like uh, creating breakout rooms. If you guys have tried it, now you can do that on Zoom. Uh, being able to uh, just hide your own view on the camera because it might be disturbing for the person who's speaking and so on. So uh, I think Zoom is a good example of picking up these smaller, I mean, call them delighters or call them nitpicking customer problems and giving a good solution out there. Mm. Yeah, and uh, sorry about this sun. Uh, maybe I should go and shield it. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, super bright sun, uh, so uh, I'm hardly visible. So, what we're what we realised then, you guys mentioned between customer demands and then competition. Would you react any differently to either or? Hmm. Mm. That's an interesting thought. Um, yeah. To me, customer demands and, and changing customer behavior and, and customer offer, etc., should should be the prior here. Uh, of course, if you can see a clear new competition is coming up, uh, offering something totally different or something slightly different, yeah, uh, that could be a trigger point for you to actually deep down to it to do some usability testing to ask your your users and customers if this is something they would like to as well. If that actually will will solve the the opportunity or the pro problem uh, with using your product. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, what, what what at least I mean I strive to do is be very sharply focused on the problem that the we have chosen to solve. And a customer might have ten problems, but we might have chosen a primary problem or a couple of problems to solve, and then be razor sharply focused on it. If a competitor brings forward a product or a solution which is seeing uh, success, I think that's a that's a that's something I can use. It's it's a learning. It's a free learning that's handed out to me, and then use that input to further my my own product roadmap and strategy. But at the same time, be very conscious of it that maybe we are not solving the same problem. Maybe we are solving a slightly different problem, or maybe we are not that competitor maybe we do not have deep pockets maybe we do not have the same geography uh, market fit yeah 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 no i completely agree with you uh chetna and pair it's like um 
if they have something out there, then then yeah, it's a matter of it's more an input for discovery, really, on on my end. Wherein, like, okay, is like you said, like, is it the is the problem that they're trying to solve with that one the same problem I'm trying to solve? Then I think then I, I would look more more into that. Or is this oh this seems a new problem? Then if then it it may also either like it's it a completely different pro problem than what we're solving so really also really identifying what is the goal of that new thing from that com competitor okay amazing sorry i just threw that question in there just just to see uh, your responses but fantastic fantastic so let's move forward on to the next question so Kamela, you want to know how do you balance user acquisition or growth uh, with user retention can you just Describe that a bit more and explain a bit more for me, please. Yeah, sure. So, because uh, I guess with the question of like building a long-lasting product, so one thing that comes to my mind related to that is definitely the lifetime value of the of the customer, right? So that and one way to increase the lifetime value is to ensure um, is to ensure customer uh, user retention or like loyalty, right? So you want, but also at the same time you want growth. So um, that's also another way to have a long-lasting product wherein you're making sure that you're relevant and be able to attract new um, new users and new users, right? So, and I've, you've been hearing also this in different um, companies, how they usually have like, you know, a growth team that is mainly have a KPI of like their MAU or and all the stuff, but you also have a retention team separate that is more about, yeah, the, the loyalty. I'm just like want to get like your opinion about this and really how do you balance this? Yeah, good question. Should I start? I mean, uh, do we need the, to balance? Uh, I mean, we could do both, couldn't we? Uh, depending on, to me, uh, the retention is definitely uh, the ownership on the on the product side. Uh, acquisitions, to me, is a bit more on the, on the marketing side, uh, depending on the, the acquisition. Of course, there is a product component into it in the, to onboard when they actually pick up the product. If the marketing have done a good work, you get users to actually pick it up download that or what have you to just uh, and then uh, it goes over to product and then we need to have a really slick uh, uh, onboarding to the they can fetch the, the product idea the product benefit etc right away but other than that isn't it uh, if we have superb user retention that would create the word of mouth that would create uh, the user loyalty etc to actually build growth in that way at least that uh, my two cents on on, uh, on this topic my my thoughts also incline uh, the same way. Where uh, I do think that user acquisition is a is a problem that can be solved marketing wise, right? Like you can have marketing budget and then get more and more new users. That said, exactly like you said, it does have a product perspective to it. If your product doesn't has a if your product has a very bad onboarding. Uh, regardless of how many users your marketing gets, it's not going to um, make a difference. So categorically, if I have to pick one and if I have to put my dollar value, my investment into one, I would say that solve the user retention and that's paramount because if you do not pay attention, you have what, what can be called a leaky bucket problem. Uh, you will get new users, but uh, they'll be gone sooner than, than you than you know. Uh, and and um, one other thing that I find more often than not is uh, the biggest problems that uh, users find uh, because of which they are not 
staying with their product. Uh, so the biggest problem there in user retention is sometimes the biggest stumbling block in your product growth and your business growth. You solve that, and uh, although it might be really difficult, it might be a vague problem, uh, but but um, but you've nailed it. Like if you if you do it, you have usually succeeded. Uh, that said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would I would work for user retention any day. Uh, but one way to balance, because we are working in an organization and we need to balance our investment, I think it is to make an upfront decision of a division of budget that you're going to make. Because uh, business-wise, your startup might be in a stage where you need new users or you need want to need, break into a new geography and you need more, in, more investment. So I would want to be business informed to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. The, the Thanks for your for your answer. I think that's that's really um, very very insightful. Because like when I when I think about it, it's like you said, pair. It's really a hand in hand kind of uh, of it should be hand in hand. You know, the the growth and also the the retention, right? Like, and if you try to separate it, and that's where I sometimes question some some of those um, team organization. Then you work in silo, and then basically, you know, you have a goal of just like funneling users there, and then this team like just trying to see and how to 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 retain them but then like if you work uh, basically holistically we're in like you you know you can provide input to to the user growth right or to your marketing about who are these loyal customers and maybe you should target them right so i think yeah so i think it's really that i guess that's um yeah where where i i see yeah the balancing could be also <laughs> Yeah, but of course, I mean, everything in product is a trade-off or in a company as well. And as uh, Chetna said here is, uh, if you have a budget, should you spend it on, on creep to continue building features uh, for the product? Or should you spend it in marketing to actually get, uh, get more customers in to earn more revenue in, into it? But uh, depending on, do you think you have the super strong uh, USPs for, for the product? and you have built some sort of good retention onto it, yeah, maybe then the more budget should go into to, uh, attracting new customers into it to see if it flows or the other way around. If marketing is really good, what they're doing, getting the right, right matrix, a lot of customers coming in, but the stickiness is not there. Uh, they don't understand it or uh, for some reason, you need to do the analytics, you need to do the usability, you need to do the, the customer service to understand who's staying and who's not. And maybe you're attracting the, the wrong personas. You think that uh, one personas is the right, but the other type of personas is actually is the one that loves your product. Mm. Uh, so yeah. it's on, on both, you need to uh, get a grip of it. Of course, that's uh, super interesting and you should should be aware of it as your product manager here. Mm. That, that's, that's another new and completely uh, interesting insight there about attracting the right personas marketing wise and that points to a completely uh, big topic of where product and marketing should work in very close partnership not that product shouldn't be in partnership with engineering and with with you know customer support and with all the other functions but that's a place where product and marketing should be completely hand in hand exactly yeah. <laughs> that's the fun of being in product isn't it that you have a relationship all over the place <laughs> yes <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, amazing, amazing. So my question here would be, how long should a product life be ideally? Is there a time limit? Should there be a time limit? 
to me, that goes back to the to the strategy behind it. What's the company strategy? If you ask Google and their search ending, uh, they they would say forever. Uh, yeah. If you have something related to uh, Corona, uh, maybe that's not forever. Uh, that's a, a blip in the market that should be there for two years. Uh, a big increase in face masks or, or what have you. So totally dependent on, on the scenario and the, and the strategy in, in that sense. Uh, but as I said, I mean, uh, just following in the product life cycle, uh, it could be interesting uh, strategy questions popping up if you actually see a decline. Uh, should that mean that you should uh, jump on another train and skip this uh, product? Or should you partly or, or more heavily pivot it to something something that could be 50% of the or original product, but you developed it so you can move it up to the another growth engine in that sense. Yep, I agree. Um, uh, it's It all, again, depends on the other customer problems evolving or do they no longer exist or mm -hmm. are there problems completely like, like, uh, like a problem like urban mobility. Uh, the case for that didn't exist so much in the last before 10 20 years but right now electric scooters and uh, 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 and and renting them uh, are are import are quite important now that that need of urban urban mobility uh, combined with the user segments being more and more sustainability conscious is moving the solutions to electric vehicles and uh, should companies follow that evolution and follow the same train and invest in it? Uh, maybe yes. Should they invest in it today or tomorrow or maybe in five years? Those are the questions that are pretty much case to case by on a case by case basis. But very important for organizations to take at the right time. Yeah, no, I, I can only just um, echo from Pear and um, Chetna that um, I think it also, yeah, it definitely depends on if there's still a user need that you're, you're trying to solve. And of course, business-wise, if it's still um, viable or at least like feasible to keep your business running while addressing that need or yeah, then then it's also a, a, a decision point of like, you know, do you, how do you, how do you then um, if, do you pivot like so you can expand more to your 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 customer base to address more potentially other user user needs or yeah then I guess it it's you cannot um you cannot expand more than I guess you you fold right like it's I guess it's similar to this um there was an an app in early twenties wherein like it just sends a notification to to um to your to your friends that with just a single word like i don't know if you remember the i guess it was was it yo or something right so it's, it was like you know just to ping your to ping your friends and it was like it, it was heavily um invested um on but then after two years it, it it's gone so it's because you know but at the end of the day i guess either they were not able to expand the product to address more user needs versus that's just one need or like you know the the need there's other now other products that's, that has been uh, ahead of you in that in in addressing your need and then therefore they move to that so and then at that point i guess that's the only way to go to to fold yeah okay amazing what i was sort of trying to get at there's, there's a famous case with a company called kodiak i'm guessing you guys have heard of them um they were head of the photography film back in the 80s and 90s and then digital cameras came in 
and they refuse to change. So as a product manager, if you see resistance within the organization, what do you do? Uh -huh. So, um, so I think Korak's story also had um, uh, uh, different different perspectives to it, and but but a big part of it, I mean, at least a major part of it, was relating to organizational uh, slowness to change, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yes, uh, that's a, that's a, that's again a part and parcel of PMing job as well as a challenge and a flavor of it to align uh, or with the organization or to make your case or uh, whatever it takes really the, it, it goes back to our discussion five minutes back when pair was saying that uh, that's the fun of it that you get to work with everybody cross-functionally but uh, that's also that's also one underlying challenge of how to work with everybody how to get everybody aligned and if there is a change coming up which uh, uh, which a product manager is really convinced of uh, how to make the case of it how to get the data how to get the voice you how to get your voice to be heard uh, so i would say there's there is there are no two ways about it but you have to fight for your case and yeah. see where it goes yeah, yeah, but that is uh, clearly first on the classic uh, description of a big disruption. But yeah. if you almost have the monopoly, you're having great revenue from your product. Uh, I mean, you're not really, uh, you're not staying clear and focused to the changes in the industry uh, good enough. You want to sort of milk as much as the revenue you can from your, uh, your, your market leader position. And then, uh, Competitors are coming up. I mean, a similar example is Nokia and the mobile phone. And Apple just showed up, and the management team in Nokia laughed at them and said that is a toy, not a, not a phone. Uh, and they weren't up to up to speed. And then uh, the disruptors is uh, suddenly they are the leader, uh, and you are too uh, too far behind. So you need to step up there. And Netflix is the opposite. Netflix has just won over so many waves of change. Yeah, yeah, they have uh, this great example of really making a big pivot of changes uh, there. I mean, the offering is uh, more, the problem is uh, the solving, and the offering is uh, sort of the same. Exactly. But, uh, distribution and the, and the sort of the, uh, the way of distribution uh, that is uh, totally changed. So impressive in, in that sense, and a good example as well. Mm. Okay, amazing, amazing. So let's move on. And last but not least, uh, Chenna, you came to me and you wants to know, how do you build a global product? An age question, can you explain a little bit more for me, please? Absolutely. So um, like I said, I have, uh, as of last year, I moved to Scandinavia and uh, I have started using Swedish products and I'm a Swedish learner, Swedish language learner. And that's why this this thought keeps crossing my mind that um, in general, global products are getting relevant year after year. Uh, we, we are in a small world now where travel is fast, it's inexpensive, uh, technology lets people work remotely, uh, products become worldwide as soon as day one. So day one of your launch, uh, somebody sitting in US might want to check out your website. Um, and I, I feel there is less and less alternate to, to build global and inclusive products on day one. Um, so 
I mean, it's it's a question in my mind that if I have to launch a product today, uh, what what kind of mindset do I have? What kind of product guidelines would I would I keep for my product? Um, and and building products that are relevant globally translates to building products that can be extended to newer markets and newer geographies without uh, breaking changes, without breaking engineering changes. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my thought process. And what do you guys think about it? Is, is that a challenge not, or not so much? Or what is needed, do you think, to build a global product? Yeah, I guess I can um, start. So I guess like for, and I, I, I'll i go into the context of the product again that I'm working on, right? And also the company that that I'm in. So Electrolux is a, is a um, global um, company. And basically how we're organized is that there's also like what we call business area, which representing the different um, regions. So we have representative for APMIA, we have representative for North America and Europe. And then basically now we are tasked to create this product that should be able to address all this one, all the stakeholders and of course all the users from these different regions, right? So with that, I guess in that aspect, there's two things. So one is of course how we balance the different, uh, I guess, requests or their needs from those different um, markets. So as a product organization, so we are the one, of course, taking lead in, in ensuring that we have all the insights that we have for, do, for those um, local markets. So not only do we do user interviews here in Europe, but we really have to do user interviews also into our to the other regions, right? And then basically consolidating all of those um, all of those user needs. One way or another, we are really gonna gonna be seeing some 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 um, commonalities there anyway. Then perfect. Then it addresses everyone's everyone's um, needs, and it we can go global on that one. And then you see these little differentiators. So for example, um, in APMIA, we see that um, you know in terms of remote con controlling, they want to have even more control. So basically, you know, there's the smartness part where in your lean back approach, which mostly in Europe and North America, they prefer, but then APMIA, they want to involve, they want to be involved more. They want to to really control all the levers that they that they want. And then for us though, in, in our in our industry, we have to, to uh, somehow cater for that. In, for for both um for both need but then we have our own principle of like you know it's effortless use so therefore like the smartness comes in first but then if they if the user wants to to um to um go deeper then there is the possibility for them but so in that case we are able to address those two different um needs and also at the same time is like we also set up uh, really an approach on how we we basically um, develop the, the the product, right, and how we communicate this with the local, with the different local BAs, and 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 it, and, and that is really putting in a line on what we think are doesn't really have to be locally, um, I guess locally curated. So for example, in your hierarchy of needs, right? Like if it's about the usability, the reliability, and making it functional, we don't see any um, a local um variation that maybe except of course if they say it's about payment method then of course you would have to need a, a local payment uh provider right so that that needs but then uh, on top of that we're in when you start adding content this is where we see that that uh, that the the different regions could give more um we give them more flexibility to express their their brands for example or express the 
how they could um, communicate with their users. So we build um, tools for them to be able to create content that they can actually target their own uh, market. That's, that's uh, well, thanks for the very, very holistic insight there, Carmela. And that was a very great example as well, because yeah, I mean, um, do you guys also look at, do you guys sometimes run into trade-offs then? Like, do you want to deliver a bigger feature for a smaller market as compared to a smaller feature for your home market maybe? Do those kind of situations come up? Yeah, for sure. Like, of course, like uh, each market would 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 want to 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 uh, to push for it for a feature. But it, what's in very important for us is like us in a product organization and us who's really owning the digital experience. That we 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 are the ones who really go out to them and say like this is how we see the, the the product progressing and evolving this is how we see the users are actually are actually uh what are the needs of the users it, 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 holistically right so i think with that explanation and then with that strategy in mind and getting that they're buying in that one we are able to really um push forward our our um strategy however when of course when that when that that there is some breaking point there as well, where you're like, no, we should we should do this and we should do that. Um, then we go into still. Then yes, we have to go with with impact though, of course. Like so, we have to go back to how many users will be impacted by this. So we have to look on the market. Got it. Yeah, because um, yeah, because some, I mean, making products global is is uh, a lot of times more than just language changes or just currency changes. Uh, like you said, it requires a holistic content strategy as well to really speak to the local population. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I was also thinking of infrastructure requirements, right? Like for you need to maintain the latency, you yeah. need to look at compliance, data privacy issues, you need to have customer troubleshooting, uh, customer support and so on. Right, yeah. So that's a lot of investment. Mm. Yeah, you can uh, IP uh, rights, so legally uh, need to follow the, those rules. So to me, there's two sides of it: the, the sort of technical uh, preparation for going international with the things we already mentioned. That of course needs to be in place. It's a good, that's an investment. It needs to support multiple language, currencies, prices, payment system, date formats. Uh, yeah, local distribution, how do you get out of that? But then again, if I go back to the core product, uh, the sort of five core product questions, I mean, uh, they should be answered in the same way to me. Uh, or is there is there different in your local offering compared to the global offering? Uh, who is the, the who is the customer? Is the user personas? Uh, could 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 that be? Is that purely local or could could that be global? Uh, What's what's the problem and opportunity you're solving here? Uh, that's, is that local or could that be uh, also in a global context? Or do you need to have local adjustments or could you actually give, build one product? Maybe with, with just fine tuning for, for the localized uh, to have it more look and feel localized and it actually the core product is more or less the same. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, defining the benefits and uh, be sure that uh, yeah, there's actually a customer that want this, and and uh, uh, and then track the, the experience uh, closely uh, for each market. I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess if we look again to the let's say with 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 a Netflix, right? If they are to to show what are the most popular 
TV show, it makes sense to, of course, you show what's a bit, well, at least you show some something local first or then provide options for Gova if really there is a need to that one, right? So that kind of like personalization, I think is also something that, yeah, you must have as well, like in this kind of, in that kind of like um, product. <laughs> yeah and and maybe maybe at some places you don't want to launch at all maybe mm -hmm. some markets are not ready and uh, they have different competitive forces uh, like uh, like a zalando in germany might be the the one stop place for you to shop but maybe not in sweden and you have better competition there you have more streaming so then it's a business question do we even want to launch yeah, and then you always need to look at the product market fit. Is it there? How's the competition? How's in there? I, I think Netflix is good. I, to me, the core, the core product and the features is more or less the same. But for some market, they definitely need to have local content. They need to have locally produced movies and movies to be able to stick out in that market and take uh, their market share. Exactly. That's true. Uh, Netflix must be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fabulous, fabulous. Does anyone else have any more questions while we're on the line? Um, uh, not so much, but I, I think this went really well. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I learned so much, and um, I would want to be in touch with both of you, Carmela, Pear, and Christopher. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, fantastic, fantastic. So we will leave it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want this opportunity to thank both Peer, Carmela, Chetna. Thank you so much for giving your insights on these fantastic topics. And thank you for listening as well, you guys at home or wherever you are. If you're ever interested in joining one of our podcasts, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or just drop me an email. It's chris at, um, at asbridge at evolution.nordics.uk.com. See you next time. Thank you.